You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today's sermon, The Empirical Fighter, or you could call this Rules for the Serious Combatant. Uh, we're going to break this into several sections. First off, let's talk in part one about being uh, world ready, or we have something that might be gear idealized. Uh, so section 1A or 1Alpha, the specificity of fitness or specificity of preparation. Now, if you've been in the training game for any length of time, likely you have uh, witnessed or been the subject of the following realization. I mean, you've trained hard for the past 90 days, say put in sprint work and have uh, worked up to your fastest 5K. Your handy-dandy app says your VO2 max is looking ship-shape. You go to the lake, beach, local swimming hole with your buddies, and one says, I'll race you to the other side. You, with your newfound fleet of foot promotion to Captain Cardio, say, hell yeah. You hit the river and cut that water like Buster Crab and Tarzan the Fearless with your overhand stroke. For the first 50 yards, and this thought hits as the lungs begin to gasp for air, am I going to die in the middle of this river? All right, now this experiment can be repeated across many domains of physical endeavor. I mean, the man with the newfound personal record of the bench press getting smoked in a push-up contest, or to flip it, you with your commitment to 200 push-ups per day getting humbled under a bar with your body weight on the plates. Or... I, mean, I, I wager your personal experience will already be way ahead of the example curve. In scholastic par, uh, parlance, a domain is a specified area of study or implied endeavor, be that archaeology or tie boxing. What we focus on is, in essence, uh, a domain. So specific skill sets are domain-specific. They do not necessarily transfer across domains. Think about this. When was the last time we saw a champion marathon runner who also rip-snorted in powerlifting, and vice versa? Crossing domains is also unlikely in matters intellectual. For example, studies show that elite performance in chess does not translate to similar like smartness and other intellectual endeavors, no matter the brainy stereotype. The rule of specificity dictates broadly that the largest gains will be in the area of focus with some, some spillover effect to contiguous areas. We've got to keep that in mind. Uh, go to part one beer, one bravo, uh, cross-training as a solution. Now, awareness of the strictures of specificity is the primary motivation of any athlete or combatant who uses cross-training modalities. This mindset is usually embodied in uh, one of these two statements. I, mean, I, I can outrun the lifters and outlift the runners, or I strike with the grapplers and grapple with the strikers. I mean, this is not a bad way to tug a bit on the specificity harness, but notice that the statements themselves are an admission of subpar performance in a given endeavor. Admitting I can't run as well as you, but I've got a better bench, it's not too far off from the statement of a child who says, I'm not good at football, but I can do a cartwheel. Don't get me wrong, I have great sympathy and empathy for broad-based preparation, but we must never lose sight of the fact that we're admitting to a deficit. Perhaps we can hear it more starkly in these rephrasings. Sure, I can't beat you at chess, but grab that PlayStation. Or you're good at that. I don't want to play that anymore. Let's do something I'm good at. If a single sport, or at the most one or two other sports, is the target, then yes, training for those specific endeavors and foregoing all else, that's wise. But if general overall exercise performance is your goal, and not necessarily an applied targeted sport focus, then this broad-based uh, exercise approach is just what the doctor ordered as well. You got to choose what supports your end aims. You got to trim the rest. So support the aims, trim the rest. Uh, we're going to continue on. One B, one Bravo, gear adjusted. Now, specificity is not just hold for how we gear the body to performance or bodies adjusted to the gear itself. We all know this. A few examples to wake up this slumbering thought is uh, let's talk about ring dips versus bar dips versus mantling. 
The Z are broadly all the same exercise, but quite a difference, a humbling one in some cases. The bar provides stability, the rings do not, and the mantling needed by rock climbers, alpinists, and the backcountry cadre. Although similar to Paris, this is a different beast altogether. Or we can talk about uh, running on a treadmill or flat track running, or we can talk about running on terrain. Shifts and actual terrain, true hills, honest to God, rock strewn scree traverses can never be replicated by a treadmill no matter the incline setting yes we may improve a base fitness on the treadmill but we are astonished how little actually translates to utility once we hit the slopes of the flat irons of boulder colorado uh, let's talk about also closer to combat false weapon mock-ups uh, versus the real deal a full-weighted tomahawk with a live blade is real, viscerally, and aesthetically that no way resembles working with a toy. Even working firearm disarms with a triple-checked, unloaded firearm with firing pin removed is a different breed of cat than a rubber toy disarm. Okay, now gear-adjusted training rears its head very large in the arena of combat sports and its reality preparation phase. I mean, we are training because we assume stakes to be high. Training for high stakes with low-stakes items, well, that's a bit of a head-scratcher, isn't it? Let's move on to part two, busting your own myths so the battle doesn't do it for you. In the last half of our discussion, we're going to keep it all matters martial or all matters combat. Let's begin by reminding us today of the title of the sermon, The Empirical Fighter, to call something empirically verified, to say we have tested by observation or experience rather than theory or pure logic. To be empirical is to select and test for reproducible utility under life conditions. To be empirical is not merely making a good case for something with words, speeches, theory, PowerPoint presentations, TED Talks, you know, things that have seemingly sound good, logical, or true. Uh, yet we often add tactics, tips, tools, and cool moves to our toolboxes by three choices. One, I'm a completist, Mark. I put everything in my toolbox. Or two, oh, that move is cool as hell. It's going in. Or three, this has survived refutation. It's in the arsenal. If our eye is on reality, option three is the only correct one. Let's borrow an idea from Dr. Karl Popper, the esteemed philosopher of science. What you do is you formulate a conjecture, be that a new tactic, technique, or strategy. And then you start looking for the observation that would prove you wrong. That last sentence is key. You start looking for the observation that would prove you wrong. Now keep in mind, false testing is a false step. Most of us do not work in this manner. We land on something new, cool, or captivating to the attention, and we add it with no testing, or we do false testing. To false test is to find all the ways to make an idea right. In uh, Popperian vernacular, we seek ways to confirm that this, that this new toy we've selected is the bestest toy ever. We see one cooperative but oh-so-flashy demo of a double-rolling leg bar or a pinch-grip disarm that makes us all weak in the knees and set out to create perfect conditions for this rare beast to exist in reality. If our eye is on reality or efficient effectiveness, false testing is not the way to go. Finding confirmation in martial arts is, in essence, choreography. I mean, we could all love us some old kung fu flicks or the John Wick film fra uh, franchise, but intellect, intelligent adults are painfully aware that much of what we enjoy here exists only in that rarefied, compromised atmosphere of agreement be uh, between performers. Refutation is a time saver and a life saver. If we are, again, if our eyes on reality, if we adhere to the Popperian logic of refutation, we will take each new tip, tool, tactic, etc., and begin by attempting to refute the idea. We got to bust your ideas, find tangible experiments or testing scenarios, testing drills that would prove the idea false, therefore refuted. If it is refuted, you save yourself further time by dropping it from training and putting that precious resource into tactics that have withstood refutation. You've also upped your survivability ante by foregoing the dubious or merely cool move. Now, refutation is a simple idea, but it's very, very, very hard. I mean, I wager I have very little dissent about what I've just presented so far. I mean, we're all high-speed, low-drag eyes in the target cadre. I have no doubt about that. 
But still, the human animal is prone to false test their pet hypotheses. In other words, if we like an idea or attach to it, we tend to skip refutation or make meager stabs at it, and we go the confirmation route. Here's an example. Let's say you decide, man, this new diet's where it's at. And then you read all the blog articles on it. You set the grocery list app on your phone. You listen to podcasts on the scientific veracity of this newfound eating smartness. But how often do we seek to refute our newly chosen diet? I mean, really, really refute. I mean, will these carbs really make me fat? Will my daily intake of cookies and cheesecake says no. Uh, usually we use soft refutation on our own ideas, but go hard-ass science and others' pet ideas. As the example is, I've read all about my diet. It's boss. It's amazing. I've read all about yours, and you're an idiot. In a nutshell, that sums up the human race. We seek to confirm ourselves and refute others. We're at our best and most efficient. We, we keep the refutation lens on our own toolboxes, our own performance, our own ideas and attitudes. It saves us time. It saves us argument. In the case of combative tools, it may save us pain and end our lives. And again, I got a harp on this. In the Black Box Project, it's not only historically verified. We, uh, we put it through the laboratory test to shake out uh, uh, anything there that might not be quite useful. Because what's the point of having all these black box meanness if you find out it only works in a rarefied atmosphere of choreography. So it not only is it historically accurate, we make sure this stuff is going to, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave a mark, if you know what I mean there. Well, anyway, uh, like, support, subscribe, podcast, uh, all that noise. You know what to do at this point. Have a good one. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics. <laughs>